You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Locked On Seminoles. I'm your host, Max, and sitting across the Zoom room, I've got Drake, two of your favorite Florida State fans talking about what's technically probably still your favorite program, but isn't making you very happy at the moment. We love Florida State football. We love to talk. And five days a week, we talk about Florida State football for all of y'all's enjoyment and sometimes to just maybe contextualize some of the pain you're feeling, which I think is what's happening to all of us. We've got a great show for you tonight. We're going to talk about the Louisville game and the Louisville game only. We're going to talk about what was bad. We're going to talk about what was good. And we're going to talk about what, what we saw means for the future. But before we do that, Drake, buddy, how are we doing, man? How's your Sunday? Uh, it's good, man. I went to the beach earlier today, got some rays, got a little bit of color. Now I got Wendy's coming to me through Uber Eats because your boy is starving after a long drive from Fort Myers. But I am ready now to talk and chill and talk about some FSU football. Where's Fort Myers? You went all the way to Fort Myers? I feel like it's kind of far. Uh, it's like an hour and a half. Oh, okay. I was thinking Fort Myers was over by Naples. Is it Fort Myers over by Naples? Uh, Yeah, it's like 45 minutes. Uh, four, no, it's like yeah, 30 minutes north of Naples. Oh, so you just pop across Alligator Alley and then come on back. Well, good, man. Good. Later. Glad you had a good day. Had one of our loyal listeners slash my best friend in town last night watching the games with me celebrating the 29th birthday. So it was a good time all around. But let's get straight into it. We all make us your first podcast listen for a reason. So we're going to give you the bad first. Drake, why don't you start us off? What was the worst part of yesterday that you saw on the field? Not how the game made you feel. Uh, I mean, just probably like what everyone else is probably thinking at this moment, the defense in the first half, primarily in the first quarter, giving up 17 points. I think every single drive Louisville actually had on offense, they scored either a touchdown or a field goal. And to me, a lot of it is the first play, the first touchdown I'll give to, you know, Louisville, because actually the safety was caught. Brendan again, bit really early and they had no safety help to the, to the corner. But after that, a lot of the play calling was kind of iffy and, that right there, they because my problem with all of that was a 31 point score in the first half. Louisville scored zero points in the second half. So we just came out super lackluster, and that was mostly both on personnel and some play calling. And I think a lot of people, including myself, was like, okay, Adam, my guy, what are you doing here? Because this is a long, long call away from you know, Notre Dame where we were super hyped about your defense. Yeah, and I think some of that was just Louisville had a pretty good game plan drawn up ready to exploit our weaknesses on defense and we got to get rid of those weaknesses. You know, you look even into the second half when we got eight stops in a row, which kudos for that, but we'll get to that when we talk about the good, you still see some really questionable stuff from the linebackers. You know, I think it was a third and three late in the game. Louisville goes to run up the middle and you just see Deloach get completely sucked into the wrong run gap, right? Mm -hmm. It's very clearly like four down, three over the top. And when you see two guys plug up, I guess that'd be what we plugged the a and the C gap. And we come in with our D lineman. Deloach just goes to the wrong side of the nose tackle. Doesn't read the run correctly. It could have been a 15 yard game, but fortunately I believe it's Kier Thomas just got that big bear paw out there, grabbed the running back 
and then the D-line was able to collapse on him. So that was a hell of a play by the D-line, but you still see that concerning stuff. I tweeted out a meme yesterday about slants over the middle, and to me, that was the bad. We we have to figure out how to cover the middle of the field. I mean, some of it – now, look, y'all know I'm the king of, oh, well, this play would have changed the outcome of the game. The fact they picked up that offensive pass interference call on that Louisville touchdown. That was so bad. I mean, there needs to be a panel, I think, that reviews every single game by the referees, that looks at every penalty they throw, every penalty they pick up, and grades their performance. And if you don't grade high enough, you don't get to keep refing because that late hit out of bounds was absurd. Again, it's the same thing I talked about last week. They called it unnecessary roughness because they knew it wasn't a late hit. And here's the screwed up part about that call. I'm going to I'm going to make two points. One, I went back and watched. I double checked to make sure I'm right. Y'all are welcome to do the same. When that quote unquote unnecessary roughness happens out of bounds, it's Cunningham. He's going to the silence. He starts to tiptoe, gets shoved, then goes out of bounds, then falls down. There was a referee seven inches from the play who then runs up to the sidelines to watch to make sure no one's, you know, kicking him while he's down or any of that. That guy doesn't even reach for his flag. And the referee 15 yards away, back in the backfield from where the run started, sends a flag flying. Like, what's the point of having different referees if you're not going to actually follow who's supposed to throw flags? And then my second point is later, y'all probably remember when we were trying to get a stop, Cunningham had, I think, a 29, 30-yard run that got called back for a hold. Yeah. Remember what I'm talking about? Exact same thing happened. He went, started to stumble to go out of bounds, was able to catch himself, and broke it for nine more yards. So it's like, well, now you've set a precedence that if he's by the sidelines, we have to be so careful about touching him. There's a reason you're allowed to shove someone, even if they are like kind of going out, but haven't stepped out of bounds. So for me, the bad was the refereeing. Uh, but I also think it was our defense across the middle. And finally, I'm sure half our listeners are going to hate me for saying this. Mackenzie Milton ain't it, man. That game should have been probably a 42-31 win, assuming the defense plays the same. Mackenzie had not one, not two, but three consecutive drives to win that game. And all three of them were ended because of mistakes he made. I look at my notes here and I've got, you know, drive, I hope I numbered them right. Drive 23, Keyshawn bounces. We go for it on fourth. We get that PI. We keep it alive. Jay Sean makes a great run. Second down, Milton. So I remember this one. So there's three guys we were playing trips to the left. I literally called it. I said to Cam, I said, look, we're about to run a flood concept. Uh, maybe some, it depends on who you are, what verbiage you use. What I would call a flood concept. We're going to have a guy run a drag route. We're going to have a guy run a longer, like seven or eight yard in route, and we're going to have a go. Sure enough, that's exactly what we do. We split the coverage beautifully. Number 80 is wide open. Milton steps up in the pocket and just eats it. No one touches him. No one's near him. Probably didn't even need to step up. In fact, I think there were a couple of times yesterday where Milton rolled out too early, a la what we've accused Jordan Travis of earlier in the year. I don't know, man. It just, that play was frustrating. Then, we go to that one where I believe it's fourth down was it fourth or third down Drake, where we had Jay Sean on that quick out wide open. And if Milton throws it a foot shorter, he catches it and had nothing but daylight. 
but Milton puts it way out to his fingertips and it slips off his fingertips. And he can't that was a catchable it. ball, though, man. You it hit him square in the hand. We ac- it, no, no, it no, hit his that, fingertips. It, no, that hit him like right. All right, I'll, I'll I'll throw you that ball five times and we'll we'll see if it's catchable. But hey, hey um, I am not the same. That that is an insult to Jay Sean Corbin. Okay? I know, that is I know, an insult I know. To that man. My, my point is though, in those situations, it's the same with screens. Um, although I will give Milton credit for this, he's gotten better with the receiver screens of throwing the guys forward, you know what I mean? Instead of at their chest, making them kind of get a little hot start with it. Yeah. Um, but no, that's one of those where you don't throw a catchable ball. You throw one right on the money. There was no one near him. There was no risk at putting it right on his numbers. You don't give him the opportunity to have to stretch. Right. Uh, Anyway, that one's a little more excusable. And then the interception at the end, Parchment had a great game and we'll get to that five receptions, 86 yards touchdown. He kind of became Milton's go-to guy. But dude, like that was that was trying to do too much too soon. We still had what twenty five seconds left. We still had time to run a couple plays. Tries to throw it down the sidelines. It's underthrown. It was a bad ball. Maybe I don't agree with Parchment's quote that that was on him. And he he maybe could have been in better position, but it was a bad decision. It was a bad throw. It cost us the game. I also think back to the Jordan Wilson throw. He had. I think he had two or three where he ends up throwing them in the dirt because he just didn't have the arm to zip it through. And we talked about this in in our meeting before. Casey's arm is, I don't want to say Alex Hornibrook level, but it's not much stronger than that. Now, he's smarter than Hornibrook and doesn't try to throw strong throws, but that was a great example. If you go back and watch the play, it's third down. Wilson's open, sitting down the middle. He throws it into the dirt in front of Wilson. Had he tried to throw it into his chest where a stronger quarterback would have gone, there was actually a quarterback coming across that probably would have picked it. So we got to get a quarterback and it's not going to happen this year. I get that, but we we need a quarterback with a stronger arm if we're going to win more games. Yeah. My main thing is that I take what Mackenzie Milton did in this game. I think it's the same exact thing that we had with Jordan Travis against Notre Dame. I know you're higher on Jordan Travis in that game. To me, I thought Mackenzie Milton yesterday, sorry, not yesterday, Saturday, he didn't play bad. But he didn't play good neither or good enough for us to win the game. That's how I felt about Jordan Travis in Notre Dame. My yeah. thing is with the Parchment pass, if you watch Parchment on that route, he clearly slows down and goes inside. And it is an underthrown ball. Like, I'm not going to go against that because, like you said, his arm strength is, leaves a lot to be desired, even though you'll have brief moments like the one pass to Cam McDonald, you know, across the middle where he jumps up and snags that. But to me, I really don't know what you do moving forward with this QB room. I think you still go with Mackenzie Milne, even if Jordan Travis was healthy, because I don't think even Jordan Travis would win the game yesterday, primarily because I think the teams actually have a lot more tape with the running game, because we saw with Notre Dame. We saw against Wick a little bit. They were kind of, you know, what's the word, content with him, kind of like going around a little bit, doing the backyard football, because like, hey, you know, it's fine. It's third and eight. You can get six or seven yards, because if you look at his rushing stats, they're, they're not the same anymore. But right now, yeah, we don't really have a QB in the room that I think either of us right now on this podcast or maybe FSU Nation wants to see trot out there or feels confident in that they give, get us a, a like a solid win. I, I think, you know, we've gotten reports and murmurs and, you know, if you're not in the know, whatever, it's fine. Um, you know, there's been speculation. He has nerve damage to his foot. There's been some talk that his feet, his legs are different lengths, which I've actually I had a buddy that happened to and he broke his leg pretty badly and, uh, in middle school, uh, we played hockey together and his leg ended up shorter. I think it's something to do with that. I mean, he just hit. And then when he does try to run, I mean, dude, the, oh my gosh, sorry. And then we'll move on. 
the one run, he pulled a total James Blackman. I forget which drive it was, but he was going, it was like third and nine maybe. And he's going. And instead of going left where he would have gotten the first down, he's like three yards away. He runs laterally to the right because he thinks he's old McKenzie Milton and just gets tackled by three guys. Now, before we get over to the good, I want to tell you something else good, and that's prize picks. Prize picks is another way to do daily fantasy. It's it's actually pretty fun because it's not based on their holistic points on their performance through the game. What you do is you draft your team uh, and their college players, and each player has like a set over under, right? So it might be that Spencer Rattler over under four times that the crowd will chant that they want his backup to be put in, or it might be for Andrew Parchment, three receptions over under. Um, you make your, you know, you pick for each of those players. And if all of your over and under picks for every player on your team is right, you win. And if they're not, you lose, but you'll probably win more than you lose because you're smart, you know, football. So get the prize picks app P R I Z E P I C K S and use promo code locked on to get a hundred dollar deposit match on your first deposit. All right. So I think this segment will be a bit shorter, but let's talk about the good because I know everyone's probably really frustrated by that game, especially if you look at it as a tale of two halves, but there was some good to take away. I mean, I'll start with, we had four penalties for 30 yards, 15 of those yards. And one of those penalties was absolute Bush league, as we've already talked about with that unnecessary roughness. So really we had three penalties for 15 yards. One of those, I believe was a false start guys. That is absolute night and day from what we saw last year. And I don't know, I'm going to put that in the list of good. I'm also going to point out the fact that Andrew Parchment finally looked like the receiver that we were hoping he could be. He stepped up yesterday, had a pretty big day. And finally, That second-half defense, Drake, I'm going to save the running backs for you. That second-half defense, you know, some people have said, well, Louisville was just basically trying to kill the clock, but we didn't even let them do that. I mean, they were actively trying to get first downs, and we were shutting them down, and they kept running that pistol set and going in, and uh, we made it not work. So our defensive line looked incredible. Our linebackers, like I said, they've got to do a better job. They've got to stop letting people get free over the middle but I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with how the defense played. Yeah, so with the defense, I'm kind of a little more in the boat that they parked the bus to take a turn from soccer because they their play calling was a little – they try to salt the game away, but like like you said before, though, they, we, they couldn't really even do that because actually our defense made really, really damn good adjustments. So kudos to the defensive staff. For me, the running backs, you know, showed out again. I think we talked about this before. If you take out the 175-yard TD run to, to kick off the second half, Jason Corbin averaged, what, 8.3 yards a carry. And then Treshawn Ward averaged, again, 5 yards a carry on 10 carries. Sorry, 5 yards a play on 10 carries. And DJ Williams actually also came, finally came into the game. 4 carries for 16 yards of the 4-4 average. They played really, really well. And that's something that we need to see a little more moving forward. And also, I'm going to give a little more kudos to the big boys up front, the Hogs. The Their run blocking, actually, for every single game this year, since Notre Dame to now, has improved for PFF each game by at least four points. And that's something that we've said a lot before, that our team needs to be very heavy run-based. And seeing them improve in the fa- and that facet of the game each way is really, really nice to see, especially because at the beginning of the game, we saw at the point of attack, especially, you know, center and the guard spots, they were kind of getting pushed back for a majority of the game up until the second half. And then that's when we saw the running game start 
open up a little bit more. So that was really, really nice to see a confidence boost. And I'll see that also coincides with Robert Scott coming back into as well. So, yeah. And I'll say, Hey, another, another solid, um, good here is we won the turnover battle, right? We won it two to one. And that last interception obviously was a heartbreaker, but we had six turnovers against wake. So to go down to one turnover this week and not be an interception till the very end of the game, I think that's a positive to take away. I think what you're seeing when you look at the scheme of this offense is that they are having to, they are having to survive a lot on these outside runs on these pitches, as we talked about. And what's frustrating is that, we've got to be able to do stuff in our base. You know, we, we've got to be able to line up, go, Hey, our guys against your guys. I know one complaint we got was, Hey, um, we have these big plays and then we run it up the middle. It's like, well, yeah, because your offensive line should be able to block for you to run it up the middle. I mean, that's just something we need to be able to do. And we saw what Drake on three or four crucial third downs yesterday. We just, we could not get a push uh, that fourth down. I actually, I love that play call, the kind of trick like McKenzie Milton looks over at the sidelines. I was, I was fine with that. Snap I don't know why people hated that. Because it didn't work. If that had gone for 75 yards and a touchdown, everyone would have thought it was the smartest thing on the planet. We just didn't get a push up the middle. The line is, you have to move. That's a play where the line of scrimmage has to move. What I mean by that is your offensive line's job is to take the line of scrimmage from where it is and move it three or four yards. And if they don't do that, a run up the middle typically isn't going to work. We still didn't get much of a push either way. And you've got to reset the line of scrimmage. I just, uh, it's, it's, we need to get to a point where we can do the fundamentals of football a little better. But I think this game, we saw improvement before we talk about the takeaways from this game and and what we should look for going forward and what it means for Florida state as a whole. I'm going to remind you guys about sweat block because it's Sunday night. As I'm reading this Monday, as you're listening and Sunday sweat block night, going to hop in the shower, going to get out, going to hit myself with the sweat block. It's good for a week, and you guys need to try it too. It's on Amazon. It's at CBS. And if you don't want to do that, go to sweatblock.com. You can use promo code Locked On and get yourself a 15% discount, which is what I would recommend doing because, come on, who doesn't love discounts? So do that, sweatblock.com. Promo code locked on, and I'm wrong. It's not a 15% discount. It's a 20% discount, and they even have a money-back guarantee. So don't take my word for it. Take their word for it. Go to sweatblock.com. Use promo code locked on. And when you're done with that, guys, go buy your favorite protein bar. I'm sure it's time to restock, and I'm sure listening to this show, you get enough of it. Builtbar.com, promo code locked15. Built bars are delicious. Built bars are nutritious. 15 to 19 grams of protein, depending on which one you go with. They only have five grams of carbs. They've only got five grams of sugar. They are magnificent. So do the opposite of what Florida State did this weekend, which is disappoint you, and make yourself happy by ordering some Built Bars. BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15. All right, man, let's talk about what the takeaways are here. Let's talk about what this means for the program. Let's talk about... Any anything in that vein? I mean, what what do you think about the program as we sit at zero and four for the first time since nineteen seventy four on this what should be a glorious but is not a glorious Sunday? Um. Well, I can honestly say that that game that we watched on Saturday was probably the best game that we played, and I'm including Notre Dame because with Notre Dame we had eight to nine months to prepare. That's kind of also why I heavily heavily criticized Manny Diaz, who said. It was everybody. No offense, Manny. 
You had nine months to prepare not to get absolutely embarrassed on live TV. And to me, it's something that a lot of other media outlets, podcasts, articles have been saying where these seasons, these, it seems like, you know, these players, you know, don't give a damn. It seems like they're quitting. I didn't see any of that the past two weeks. I mean, the Wake Forest game was frustrating, obviously. When we the outcome that happened was not the outcome that we wanted. With Louisville, you actually saw a team like kind of, you know, keep their head in the game, actually attempt and did their best to actually try to win the game. I know we're not here for moral victories, but that's something that we couldn't say even back down to the first year, the last year under Jimbo Fisher, where something that we've been trying to push for that like, these kids actually care instead of, you know, they're going from, you know, wanting to be football players and they're moving toward they'll actually want to play football, which is something that is really nice to see. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, man. I think that it's really, really easy to listen to what we're saying, go, oh, well, you're there just saying it's a moral victory. No, we're not. As a Florida State fan my entire life, growing up in Tallahassee, going to football games since I was two years old, and we, we absolutely stomped Georgia Tech in 1994, I am very keenly aware that this sucks. I get it. It's horrible. But we as content creators here at the first podcast you listen to every single day, Locked on Seminoles, we owe you more than that. We're not just going to come on here and talk about how bad it is, how the sky is falling, because you know that. We know that. Our friends know that. Your friends know that. Stacy knows that. Holly knows that. Everyone's well aware. But we have to try to give you some context, and you have to try to take something away from this, because if not, just start turning your TV off on Saturday. Stop watching the games. Stop caring check out and turn the podcast off. But here's the thing. We know you're not going to do any of that because we know you all love Florida state. So yeah, it's not good enough at Florida state university for your football team to just quote, not quit. But when we've had four consecutive years of every time a team faces any little amount of adversity, they quit. And then we have a team this year that lost to Jacksonville state, don't get me started on the SEC bias where Arkansas is getting beat, or I mean, I'm sorry, where Auburn's getting beat by an FCS team and no one seems to care, but we'll get to that later. And then after that, they go up and play Wake Forest and they get beat by 21 points against Wake freaking Forest. And then they come at home and they give up 17 points in the first quarter. That team should have quit. That game yesterday should have been a 45 to seven blowout where we're sitting here today wondering, well, which players are going to transfer? Which players should we kick off the team? Can we go ahead and somehow get Travis Hunter in here early and maybe he can play the rest of the year? But instead, the defense got eight consecutive stops. The offense actually kept trying and trying. And again, we've sputtered out at the end three separate times. And it's annoying as all hell. And it pissed me off more than anything. Ask anyone that's in a group chat with me. But... At least they tried. At least they didn't just pack it in and give up. And it wasn't just the young guys. It wasn't like three guys were trying while eight more on the field on each side. were just going through the motions and saying, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to prove my draft stock. I saw 22 guys, 11 on each side of the ball, actually give a damn about Florida State football and try to come back and win. And I'm not saying that's a victory because a victory would have been us getting the last touchdown, getting a two-point conversion, and then taking it to overtime and winning. That would have been a victory. What I'm saying is, going forward, I feel a lot better about this team based on the way they played in the second half 
than I would have if we'd lost 45 to seven and they'd been playing tic-tac-toe on the sidelines, rock, paper, scissoring and doing knock-knock jokes. And if you don't feel the same way, I'm sorry. There's probably other outlets out there that will just sit here and tell you the sky is falling, but we've had no major decommits. We know that they're going to shuffle around that assistant staff, but it'd be stupid to do it right now because then they'd be coaching a man down, which is something we absolutely lambasted Willie Taggart for doing. And we saw us actually get better week to week. And, you know, point of personal privilege, Drake, tell me if I'm, if I'm being too rose colored glasses, but that Wake Forest team is damn good. After what they did to Virginia, I'm not feeling as bad as about losing to them when our starting quarterback and two of our starting offensive linemen got hurt. Yeah, this is where, like, I didn't grow up an FSU fan. I've been an FSU fan since I went to the school. Like, I know you, Dave especially, all of our listeners, you know, think this is the same Wake Forest team that should be getting blown up 40, 45 to 60, 40 by 45 to 60 points. I cover this team for Lockdown ACC specifically. This is probably the best Wake Forest team they've had in the history actually of their program. And actually, they should, quite frankly, might win the AC Atlantic. They're that damn good. They have a generational wide receiver there for them. Sam Hartman's the perfect quarterback to run that offense. They have, we say we, we have a stable of backs. They have the same damn thing over there with a better offensive line, a first-round caliber left tackle. Like that team, watching them absolutely decimate and dismantle Virginia, who actually picked to win the game but barely, was absolutely eye-opening. That then I tweeted out at Candace that like literally that Wake team is probably the best team in the ACC. But going to like what I know we're there's a lot of positive takeaway from the game from the personnel standpoint. I do want to say that we one thing that I need to see moving forward that's it's, has been like haunting me since that game and I've seen a pattern since you know Wake Forest too. These teams are extremely content with running up the score in the first quarter and then the second quarter because we never make adjustments on the fly on defense. And that's something that we really, really, really harp on in. Like maybe hold them down to maybe 14 points, 17 points in the first half. That will help us out tremendously because, as you saw, teams are content with kind of BSing and parking the bus in the second half because they have such an insurmountable lead. And also, like we said earlier, we don't feel super confident in in any QB right now to, to lead our offense because our offensive line injuries also, the play calling, we can't be going to our base. But again, folks, with takeaways, the reality is, here, here, here's what I'll say the takeaways are before we get out of here. One, we're 0-4 for the first time since 1974, and results matter. Wins are wins, losses are losses, and it sucks to lose. However, I think contextually, this is a much better 0-4 than it could be right now. We're actually seeing the team get better, and I think we got to stick with this team. Mike Norvell is going to be here for the next year. Probably the next two, we need him to succeed. We want him to succeed. We also haven't seen any major decommitments, as I already said. And I think that the future, while it doesn't look all big, bright, shiny, and glowy, it's looking something other than pitch black. And for that, I can get excited. So thanks for stopping by, folks. I haven't done this in a while, but I want to take a second to thank all of you for listening. Thank all of you for being here, folks. I love talking about Florida State football, even when we're bad. It's better when we're good, but it doesn't matter. I love doing it. Drake loves doing it. Dave loves doing it. And because y'all listen to us every single day, hundreds, thousands of you guys listen to this every single week, we get to keep doing it. So thank you for listening. Make sure you guys stop by. Hit us with that five-star review. 
Hit us with a couple words about what you like. Tell us a fun fact about yourself. doesn't matter. And we'll read it as part of Five Star Fridays. And with that, I'm Max. That was Drake. And this was Locked On Seminoles. Take care, everybody. Take Auburn plus three and a half.